Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is July the 27th, 2015. This is episode 1612 of the Survival Podcast, and it's Monday. So I'll be answering your emails. If you want to uh, have your email answered or featured on a show like today, just send it to me at jack at the survivalpodcast.com. And uh, make sure TSPC, uh, as though it was one word, is put in the subject line, TSPC, no spaces. And anything else you want after that, and that'll make sure it goes into the right place to be uh, reviewed. Here's the deal with this. I get hundreds of these a week. I feature anywhere from four to, t for four to ten on a, on a long weekend show, on the show, on a Monday. So I can't do them all. I do put a lot of them out on social media. If you're not a follower of me on Facebook, you may want to do that, uh, or Twitter. I pretty much put most of the stuff out on both Facebook and Twitter, though I'm better about putting these things out on Facebook. Uh, I just prefer the interface on Facebook to Twitter. Anyway, um, I just, you know, saying I can't get everybody on the air, but I do my best following the format, which is make your point or ask your question. In one or two sentences, hit the return key a few times, and then provide your detail, details. Uh, that helps me screen faster, and it makes it more likely that you'll get through the screening and onto the show. Also, again, TSPC in the subject line. The email is jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Um, I think a lot of people think due to the success of Survival Podcast that I must have a super secret squirrel email address or a screener. It's important to me I stay in touch with you guys. Um, on an individual level, as best that I can with the time. It goes in the same place, except for the little like codes I give you, put them into different folders. But it all goes to me. I read every email I get. I don't read the entire email if it's like a mile long, but I do at least look at every single email and make it part of how I consider going forward. Even when I disagree with you, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today, and you guys disagreeing with me, and that's okay. We're going to talk about that and a few other things during one of the updates at the beginning of today's show. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by helping to make sure the show's here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. Sponsor of the day number one today, Fortress Defense Consult and the awesome Frank Sharp Jr. and his cadre of instructors at FortressDefense.com will help you to complete that final linchpin in the gun operator triangle of efficiency. You know, people often ask me, what is the next gun I should buy? And what I say is, maybe you should invest in some training. If you already have a good shotgun, a rifle, a handgun, and maybe a few other things for hunting and sporting purposes, instead of just buying another gun because it's cool or it was on the cover of a magazine, maybe you should invest in that final linchpin, the final moving part in that triangle of efficiency. You know, first you have the gun. You buy a gun off the shelf. It is what it is. It does what it does. You can rely on it to be what it is. Ammo is the same way. Good quality ammunition. You can never have too much of it, but you can buy it off the shelf. Those two things are commodities. There's one thing that really requires ongoing investment. That's you, the operator. You're the final moving part. A gun and ammo in the hands of somebody who doesn't know what to do can be more dangerous to the people that are trying to defend themselves than it can be a help to the situation. And it's also the case that even if you know how to handle a weapon professionally, you know what you're doing mechanically, there's a mental component when lives are on the line that cannot be condensed down into words. It has to be trained. It has to be drilled into you. You have to realize that if you get into one of these situations, what you'll end up doing is falling back to your lowest, not highest level of proficiency. That's where training kicks in and takes over. The kind of training you'll get from Frank and his cadre at FortressDefense.com. Check them out today. Learn how you can become an efficient operator of that weapon that you're carrying for the defense of yourself and others. 
Sponsor of the day, number two today, Ready-Made Resources, the company that does what it says and says what it does right on their website. All the resources you need, ready-made, ready to go at readymaderesources.com. And when I say all the resources, I mean it. From the tactical to the practical, from guns to gardens, and everything in between, you'll find it at Ready-Made Resources. 12-volt appliances to go with your solar and wind projects? Check, they've got that. You want to do solar and wind? Hey, they've got everything you need for that. You want long-term storage food? You want it by the can or by the case? They've got it. You want to make your own long-term storage food? You need uh, Mylar bags and O2 absorbers? They've got that. You want gamma lids for your five-gallon buckets? Got it, check, no problem. You want to start canning, whether it's water bath or pressure canning, they've got what you need. Dehydrators, got that too. Want to get over and look at some tactical accessories or firearms if you're in their state or have an FFL to ship to? They've got it all, man. Like I said, the practical to the tactical, the guns to gardens, and everything in between. You'll find it all at the company that does what they say and says what they do. ReadyMadeResources.com, a long-term sponsor of the Survival Podcast, Happy to serve you with great pricing and great service. Again, ReadyMadeResources.com. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. The year is 1612 because the episode is 1612. I have two for you today in the TSP Wiki at TSPWiki.com from the awesome Alex Shrugged. First one is Killing a Man Twice in the 17th and the 20th. 17th century and the 20th. And I also have Witches Are All Wet and Lights Are Magical. That's the one I'm going to read for you. This year, a new test is being used to find suspected witches. They are dunked in water. If they float, they are witches. If they sink, they are not. There's a modern notion that this test caused death in either case, but a rope was tied to the subject so they could be pulled out if they sank. The witches of Northamptonshire were tried for various bewitchings. Their crimes were not sensational, but this new method of testing witches began with them. A few weeks later, the Pendle Hill witch trials got started. Out of the ten accused, only one was found not guilty. One woman openly confessed that she had bewitched a man. She was hanged along with the others and found guilty. While it looks bad in England, it's a whole lot worse in Europe, especially in Germany. Lots of people are going to die, many of them professing their guilt and grateful for being caught. My take by Alex Shrug. Okay, what's really going on here? King James I was pressing local authorities to make sure that everyone was going to church and taking communion. Communion is a significant Christian ritual. It was considered a crime if you refused to participate. In the midst of this crackdown, some folks were pointed out as witches. At the, t- at the time, witches were local healers, herbalists, seers, and makers of joint pain medicine. Today, we call these people therapists, life coaches, and moonshiners. While these professionals have nothing to do with magic, in the 17th century, it was difficult to distinguish between a love potion and distilled alcohol. Franz Mesmer won't be born for another hundred years, but people could still be mesmerized and hypnotized. They just don't know what to call it yet, so they call it witchcraft. As Arthur C. Clarke said, any significantly advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. For most people in the modern day, an electric light is magic. They have no idea how it works, they just flip the switch and it works. Simply because their jaws don't drop every time they turn one on makes it no less magical from the Clark perspective. Yeah, I have some thoughts on this about modern day, but before I do, I'm going to throw a little pop culture in for you. Some old pop culture. Many of you know where I'm going with this, but I would like to point out before I play this. When I was a teenager, sitting around with my buddies, drinking beer that we had got some older guy to buy for us, watching this on TV on a you know VHS tape, uh, as we would do, 
uh, and laughing the way teenage boys did at this comedy in, in its heyday, I had no idea how much of it was actually based on real history. That makes it still funny and even more tragic today. So here you go. This is from Monty Python's Quest for the Holy Grail. See if you hear the similarities between it and uh, our history segment today. Can you not also make bridges out of stone? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah cool. uh, uh, does a wood sink in water? No, no. no it floats. It floats over into the pond. <laughs> what also floats in water? Bread. Apples. Uh, very small rocks. Cider. A great gravy. Cherries. Mud. A churches. Churches. Lead. Lead. A duck. Exactly. So, logically, if she weighs the same as a duck, she's made of wood. And therefore... A witch! A witch! A witch! Very good. We shall use my larger scales. Wise in the ways of science. I am Arthur, King of the Britons. 
My liege. Good tonight. Will you come with me to Camelot and join us at the round table? My liege, I would be honored. What is your name? Bedivere, my liege. Then I dub you Sir Bedivere, Knight of the Round Table. The wise Sir Bedivere was the first to join King Arthur's knights. But up- So let me um, talk about how... You know, we can look back at these primitive people and kind of think how horrible mankind was at one time, how naive, how easily led. And I look at today and I go, yeah, we're not throwing witches into a bathtub to see if they sink or they float anymore. But, oh, side note, do, do, do you think if the the people of the time had spent more time swimming, uh, more of the, the witches could have survived? How? Um, if you want to sink, blow all the air out of your lungs and you'll sink to the bottom. Uh, of course, they might have just waited till you came back to the top because you were, uh, you were, you know, starving for oxygen. I don't know. But if you put me in some water and tell me if I don't sink, you're going to burn me or hang me, I'm blowing all the water out and sinking to the bottom. I learned that as a kid in the pool. But when I look at today's world, I, I, I see a lot of witch hunts still going on. We have a, a, a trial by a trial by the most convincing argument rather than trial by fact for most things in life today, including who we're going to elect to run our country, uh, where we're going to what hole we're going to dump money into, what what crap hole in the world we're going to send our young men to die in. Uh, while we wave the flag and realize that when they come home, we're going to treat them the way we've tr- treated all our veterans since World War II ended. And World War II, at least the veterans were welcomed home uh, properly. Pretty much we haven't taken care of our veterans since. And, and you know you can say that that's wrong, but you also know that's what their government's going to do. But if we can just convince people by a preponderance of the argument to get them emotionally charged up, they'll back just about anything. They'll wave a flag, they'll wave a foam finger, they'll wave their middle finger, and they'll hate each other. As we create witch upon witch upon witch, for everybody to resist, for everybody to see as the enemy, for everybody to see as the devil. And why? Because in a world of witches, totalitarians reign supreme. That's the truth. There's no such thing as a witch in the way that we're using the term here. Now, I know there's people that practice a faith called Wicca. Some of you guys proudly call yourself witches. It's not what we mean here, okay? I think you're entitled to your religious beliefs just like anybody else is. Well, you ain't hurting anybody. I don't care what you believe. Really don't. But when we talk about witches this way, they're not real. They're fake. In fact, they're not just fake. They're creations, We take something we don't like and make it out to be worse than it is and then say it must be destroyed or objected to or put down. That is a witch hunt. That's how it works. And that's so everybody pays attention to the witch versus the people in charge that are dividing us so that they can control us. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Hopefully you got some humor and some tragedy out of that one. All right, with that, let's go ahead and uh, get into uh, the main topic of today's show. I want to start out with a real quick announcement. Last week on the Monday show, I did a tribute to Scout, Michael Adam from uh, from Appleseed Project, the Rifleman Radio Show, uh, and, and many other endeavors. He's a great guy. Um, 
as I said last week, it's it's hard to express how you can miss somebody's presence in the world so much whom you never actually physically occupy the same space with. Michael and I communicated often uh, through both social media and email. And uh, we were on each other's shows. He was on this show. I was on his show a couple times. Uh, and we were we were good friends in this new modern age. And losing him, I know we've lost a warrior for liberty, a warrior for the truth about history, and, and a warrior that taught so many people the art of rifle craft and taught people from young children uh, with single-digit ages up to old men and women and everything in between and taught us about life in doing so. He was an awesome guy. Well, I said last week, if there was any way we could help the family, that I would let you know. Well, there is a GoFundMe that was set up, and that was set up for his daughters. He, he leaves behind five daughter, daughters. They're trying to raise $10,000 for a scholarship, which ain't a lot. That's $2,000 per child. But it does say, hey, you know what, you know what, girls? Your dad meant something to a lot of people. I think they've raised almost $4,000 at this point. I chucked in 100 bucks last week when I found out about it. Today I'm putting it out on the air. Um, this is the kind of thing, you can go put five bucks in it. You know, just, just think about how much this man did for our country, uh, both in the service and military and, and more, I would say, his service afterward. Um, we all talk about supporting the Second Amendment. I believe that, that Appleseed has done more to help preserve the Second Amendment than just about any other group in the last 10 years. Um, lobbying Congress is one thing, but getting people to actually own, appreciate, and master the weapon is what makes them realize it's not just something they're talking about somewhere else. This is my property. This is my right. And Michael was one of the most influential people in the Appleseed organization. So consider getting by and, and leaving you know a few bucks toward his kiddos Uh, they're going to grow up and make really big impacts on the world and let them know that um, there's a lot of people out there that realize the contributions their father made. And even though we may not have met him face-to-face, -face, or even though many of you may only know him now through the, uh, the show that I did last week, you can look at what he's done and realize it's worth supporting. Anyway, with that, let's move on to, uh, I want to do an update real quick before we get into any of your emails today about TSP and our direction, our future. I've been questions about this lately. I've also gotten some criticisms that we spend too much time on permaculture. But when I looked at the last 20 episodes, I saw that we did about six on permaculture and the rest on various other things from hunting deer to suppressors. So I don't know that that criticism is valid. But there's no doubt that we talk more about the homesteading stuff today than we did, let's say, six, seven years ago. Um, but I want to talk about why I do that and what I'm trying to accomplish and where we're going and how, yes, we're going to do some stuff that takes us a bit more back to our roots in the coming months at the same time. So it's not that I don't hear the criticism. It's not that I don't care. It's that I have reasons for what I do. And it's important to me that you guys know what those reasons are. So I believe that there are two critical problems in America, and only two. And that if we could rectify those two problems, all the other seemingly insurmountable problems would largely rectify themselves. While I don't really believe that governments are good things, I, I really don't, I understand their necessity at this point in, in human evolution. Okay, So I, I see government, a state at all, is a current necessary evil that mankind is not ready to let go of yet. And in that world, I think that the type of government set up in this country could be the best there is. It could not. Nah, I'm not saying it is. I'm saying it could be the best there is. 
But there are two things necessary in a people for the people to actually run their republic in a way that actually runs the republic for the benefit of the people versus the benefit of the people in charge of the republic. And those are, we need an ability to think for ourselves and an ability to provide for ourselves. And in the end, that's what I think the two biggest deficits in America today, I think they are responsible for the financial cancer that we have running rampant in this country at all levels, from the individual to the national. I think they are responsible for the cultural cancer that is destroying our family and destroying our way of life. It is, it is not what people believe. It's that they don't have an effing clue why they believe what they believe anymore. They pick a team, and whatever that team does is good enough. That's not good enough for America. That's not good enough for a free people. That's not good enough for mankind. Now, the reason I focus on America is I live here. I live here. There's a lot of things I, I, I love about my nation. There's a lot of things I don't like about my nation. And frankly, there's some things about my nation that I'm damn well ashamed of. But it doesn't mean that I don't love where we live and love what this place is supposed to be about and love the ideals that this nation is supposed to represent. Therefore, I will not surrender. You can kiss my ass. I ain't going nowhere. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to keep fighting for what's right. That's how I feel about this country. But I can't do it alone. And even whatever I accomplish, the number of people that I can actually influence is not huge. 120, 130,000 people a day listen to the Survival Podcast now. That pales into comparison with anybody that's got a syndicated radio show on AM radio. I, I'm aware of that. There's only so much I can do. But the people I can reach should be reached with honesty and sincerity and clarity, and they should damn know what I, well know what I think. And no one should ever be able to pull a ghost out of the closet one day and go, did you know Jack believed this? And half the people just go, oh my God, I can't believe that and leave. If you're going to leave, I will piss you off so you go ahead and leave because I said it directly to you. Because that's a straight shooter that I am. But everything that I do here is to help you to, to develop the capacity and to help your fellow Americans develop the capacity to provide for themselves and to think for themselves. And I think in many ways thinking for yourself is more important. If you learn to think for yourself again, America, you will provide for yourself. We need to learn to provide our own survival needs for ourselves. You can outsource all your wants if you want to. But your needs, you need to be able to provide for. You need to provide your own ability to feed yourself. That doesn't mean growing 100% of what you produce off the land, but it means being able to put food in the belly of your child without food stamps. It means being able to look after the well-being of your child without government-provided freaking daycare. That's what it means. Provide for yourself and your family. If you can't do that, you're sunk, because then you'll never think for yourself. As soon as I start providing for you, I get to dictate to you how do you think. And things that you know would be wrong, you'll all of a sudden go, well, that's okay. That's a compromise. That's acceptable. Bullshit. And then you'll be miserable. You, and this is why the majority of Americans today are miserable. Recently, there was a, a poll done where they asked people that lived in countries, and people like, well, it's just subjective. Well, it's just subjective to the opinions of the people that live there. How happy they were. How much fulfillment they got out of their lives. The United States didn't come in the top 10. We didn't come in the top 20. We came in the high 20s. I don't remember exactly where. 
on basically a, how happy are you? Well, of course we're not happy. If you live in opposition to your core principles as a human being, you are going to end up miserable. If you end up supporting one group of criminals because they're less criminal than another, but you know in your heart they're still criminals, you're going to end up miserable. You cannot live in conflict with the core of who and what you are. And as soon as you begin to provide for yourself, provide for your family, and, and, and provide in enough surplus that you can begin to provide on some level for your greater community, as soon as you do that and think for yourself, you will stop being incongruent with what you support and what you believe in in your life. You will stop compromising. We've compromised enough. We've compromised enough of our core principles. And I know there's people out there going, but this guy speaks in opposition of things that I believe in all the time. Good. Continue to believe in those things. doesn't mean you can't learn from me. If we are going to make a republic work, we can't write off someone because they disagree about something. We might tell them to piss off in regard to that particular issue, but it doesn't mean we stop working with them if we agree with them on 90% of the rest. This is where I get fed up with my own my own group, the anarchists of the world, the elitist asshole anarchist that has no grasp in reality whatsoever about the current condition of society. You just can't, can't grasp it. Too busy eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, typing on a computer and hot pockets that his mom brings down to the basement door. Right? I don't know who these people are. I don't know what's wrong with their heads, but I can't help them. Just like I can't help people that are deeply still entrenched 100% in the belief of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. The only people I can help are the people that have at least begun to figure out something's wrong. Something's wrong with the whole damn thing. And it is. It is a multi-headed tumor, a multi-headed cancer in this country, destroying our culture, our way of life, our community, our ability to think, our ability to provide for ourselves. That's what it is. And this show is designed to be freaking chemotherapy for that shit. Even though I'm not a big fan of chemotherapy in a lot of situations. It's the best analogy I can come up. This is, this is the whole ball of wax, man. This is tumor excise, you know, this is the surgical remover. This is burning. This is chemically destroying. This is the anti-cancer protocol. That's what this show is supposed to be. So I might talk a little bit less today about stocking your pantry than I did six years ago. Why? Because I've done that. But tomorrow, that's what we're going to talk about. Basic food storage tomorrow. Why? Because it's important. And because there's new people coming on every day, they need to hear it. But what my bigger goal is, is to make people be able to sit down the next time you hear some bullshit and say, wait a minute, this sounds like bullshit. Let me figure out why it's bullshit. And now that I know it's bullshit, I'm going to take it off my chest and off my table, and put it way over there. And if everybody wants to, to swarm around it like a bunch of sharks on a chumsicle, fine. I'm not participating in this. I have a family to raise. I have myself to look out for. I have a community to build. I got shit to do. I don't have time for your nonsense anymore. That's why I do what I do. That's the direction of TSP. If you can't feed yourself, you are a slave to the people that feed you. If you can't provide some level of your own ability 
to provide energy for yourself and comfort in your life for yourself. You're a slave to the people that do. See how it works? If you can't provide water for yourself, you're a slave to whoever controls the faucet. Got it? See how simple this is? If you can't look after your own health, you're a slave to your health insurance company and the medical and pharmaceutical complex and the government that regulates the whole thing. And on some levels, you have to interact with all of those edges of society. You have to. But you do it by the best ability of your, your, your own life to pick and choose how, where, when, and what? Or do you do it wholesale with the belief that one side could make it all okay if the other side would just sit down, shut up, and go away? Most Americans are the second kind. I believe that most of you here are the first kind, or at least are trying to become that. That's why I do what I do. That's why I will not apologize for saying things that piss you off. My job is not to make you agree with me. I want you to hear that again. My job is not to make any of you agree with me. My job is to tell you what I think about given things, give you a cogent, rational argument as to why I believe that, and then let you take that information and do whatever you want. And if you want to be a child and run away and say, I'm never going to listen to you again because I said something you disagreed with that way, how weak is your argument? How weak is your argument? How weak are we as a people today? I saw somebody talking at one social media outlet. I think it was Facebook. The guy said he's a teacher, a college teacher. And he's, he's fed up with students saying, but it's my opinion, as though that's an uh, argument, right? Like, I'm entitled to my opinion. Yeah, well, your opinion's wrong. You haven't made any case for your opinion, but you don't want to be told your opinion's wrong. Well, so-and-so says so. Well, somebody else says that you're right is not an argument for your opinion. We can't even rationally debate anymore because we feel so entitled we think that an opinion is an argument. An opinion is not an argument. It's an opinion. An argument is, is a collection of facts and rationalizations that support the idea inside the opinion. We don't teach our kids this in school today. My wife and I were talking about how many especially young men did contact me and give me like their whole life story. And I told her, it's kind of weird to me. And she said, you know, for a lot of them, it's probably because you're the closest thing to a father that they've ever had. They grew up without a father or they grew up with a distant father that didn't teach him anything. They didn't show him how to be a man. They didn't teach him how to be a man. And they didn't tell him, you know what? You don't have a right to not be offended. God, that's, that's so missing in our country. You know that you do not have a right to not be offended. You do not have a right to not have people say what you don't want to hear, to not have people display what you don't want to see. You have a right to not look at it. You have a right to not engage in it. But you don't have a right to silence somebody because you disagree with them. Weak. We've become weak. We still think it's 1979 with the foam finger up and Queen is blaring. We are the champions because we had the miracle on ice. That day is gone. It's over. It happened. What we have is today. We have the now and we have the next minute. And the one after that. And the one after that. And the one after that. So I will keep calling on people that listen to this show, to develop the capacity to provide for and think for themselves. It is not the most profitable way to run this show. I will tell you that right now. If I went back to 45 minutes and just telling people what they want to hear, 
and got it on and got it done with once a day, I can make a hell of a lot more money. Because people want to hear what they want to hear, and they'll tune in for as much mental masturbation as you're willing to give them. But I view what I have with TSP as a gift. A gift that was given to me by every single one of you that ever supported me and shared my show at any time, even once. And with gifts, I believe, become obligations and responsibilities. And my obligation and responsibility to those of you that helped me get where I am isn't to give you what you want. It's to stay true to the core principles that I built this on and stay true to my core individual principles and to not apologize for what I believe. And my hope isn't that you will then come to see things my way, but that you will come to do things my way. To form rational, cogent arguments. To live your life based on your principles, even if they're in direct opposition to mine. And to focus on thinking for and providing for yourself, your family, and your community. And then you can think whatever you want. I don't care. See, unlike people in government, I care a lot more about what you do than what you say. And I know one thing about this audience. You guys are doing great things. You're doing epic shit. That's what inspires me to get on the mic every day. So we're going to do some kind of back-to-basics episodes, especially throughout the rest of the year. Moving to a a one-interview-a-week format gives me two episodes a week that I can do that are kind of just me. That's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to pound some of these core principles so you can share these ideas with new people. But at least once a week, I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to piss you off. I'm going to make you go, I don't agree with that because I know it's wrong. And then I'm going to give you a whole bunch of reasons that I believe that. And you're going to have two choices. Actually, three. Examine the reasons rationally and logically and determine that you might want to change your opinion. Examine the reasons rationally and logically with the information you have that maybe I don't from your own vantage point and decide that you respect the argument but disagree with it. Or put your fingers in your ears, go la, 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 and run away. First two are fine. The third is exactly why I'm doing it because it happens all the time far too much in our world today. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and get into some of your actual emails to me. I know I took up a lot of time with that, but there's times when I feel responsible to come forward and tell you what I'm thinking and why I do what I do and what direction the show's headed in. Kind of a, a state of the community address from myself. Anyway, uh, this first one was one I was actually going to cover last week and we ran long and I, I didn't because I think I'm going to have a position here, for instance, that many of you uh, will find a little bit surprising. Uh, this is uh, something that made the rounds of social media. Many of you have maybe heard of it. 22-year college, old college student blows her $90,000 college fund and blames her parents. Let me read a little bit of it to you, and I'll put a link to the show in the show notes where you can read the rest of it if you want to. Atlanta radio show, The Burt Show, has a guest on this week who has managed to incite rage of just about every millennial in the state of Georgia and beyond. The show is syndicated in 11 states. The woman, a 22-year-old college junior named Kim, who did not give her last name on the air and was allowed to use a voice disguiser to even further shield her identity, came on with the three hosts uh, with a confession. In just a short three years, she managed to blow through $90,000 of college fund left to her by her grandparents. Kim has one year left of school and no way to cover the $20,000 tuition balance. 
The show hosts try to give Kim the benefit of the doubt. She comes to them for some untold reason. Perhaps a financial aid officer would have been a wiser choice in a time of great need, and at least they want to try to help her. But what followed has to be one of the most painful interviews that has ever been aired on national radio. Kim manages to personify just about every parent's worst nightmare, an entitled 20-something who asks for handouts rather than face the very real financial challenges of young adulthood. You can listen to the full interview at thebertshow.com. We shared some highlights of Kim's cringe-inducing description of her predicament here. Quote, Years ago, my grandparents set up a college fund for me, which was amazing, and I haven't been very good with my budget for school. The first payment my senior year just arrived, and I don't have the money, basically. I've just been avoiding it. I knew the bill was coming. I used I used it to budget for school clothes and college break money. I probably should have not done that. I took a trip to Europe. The Europe thing I thought was part of my education, and that's how I tried to justify it. Maybe my parents should have taught me to budget or something. They never sat me down and had a real serious talk about it. My parents said there's nothing they could do for me. They're not being honest with me, saying they don't have money because my dad worked like a million years and they have a retirement account. Then my parents take, I go, I suggest that I go take out a loan at the credit union and I'm like, how am I supposed to do that? I have to go inside to the bank and get a loan? Burt Show co-host Jeff Dollar says, you could get a job for the school, maybe in the cafeteria or something. Kim says, well, that's embarrassing. I know they're trying to teach me a lesson and blah, blah, blah and character building, but like, I hope they realize working part-time could have such negative effect on my grades and as a person. Here's what is most infuriating about Kim's situation. Not only is she admitting that she had and squandered a $90,000 college fund that was supposed to cover her college expenses, but she completely lacks any remorse. She says she feels stressed, but not once does she seem grateful for her good fortune or ashamed about blowing it in three short years. I'm going to pause there. Again, I'll be linking from the show notes, and I'll be uh, reading the rest. Uh, I won't be reading any more of this. I'm going to give you my... Uh, diagnosis on this to where this girl is a pea brain, no doubt about it. She is a pea brain. But how did she get that way? I, I, I know what most of you who sent me this, and I had to get this from at least a hundred of you guys out there in the audience. Um, I know that most of you who sent this expected a big jack rant on how stupid this girl is and how she's far more representative of our young people than you'd expect that that you know in spite of the the tone of the article that says she's enraged every millennial that there's a lot more millennials that think this way than don't well the truth is there are a lot more millennials that think this way than don't but whose fault is it now so you don't think I'm letting this girl off the hook completely here I'm not saying that none of this is her fault and she bears no responsibility here that's not what I'm saying but I'm saying if we were to actually measure the degree of fault that a person at 20 years old thinks this way, should we blame A, the individual in question, uh, who just is so paradoxically stupid she can't understand how dumb she's being, uh, born that way and there's nothing that can be do, done about it, it's genetics, and, uh, and if, you know, it's like somehow there was some kind of malfunction that occurred around the year 1990 and everybody born after that has this affliction, or, is she a product of her educational upbringing, uh, both in the school system and through uh, her parents, who are a child's first and most important teacher? Which one would it be? So you might think I'm crazy, but the first thing I thought of when I read this was Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer. Whenever you see Caesar go to fix a problem dog, you always notice something right away if you know anything about dogs and dog behavior. There's nothing wrong with the dog. The people that have the dog are idiots. I mean, I, I've seen maybe, I've probably watched 
20, 25 episodes of Dog Whisper. It's not a show that I watch all the time, but nothing else on. DVR had to catch it. Let's check this out, especially if I can fast forward through stupid parts. Yeah, I'll watch it. And I'd say one in ten, maybe the people are somewhat rational people that just have a dog they don't know how to deal with. But nine times out of ten, the people are complete morons. Like, the dog is doing everything you've conditioned the dog to do because that's what dogs do. Dogs are dogs. This guy walks in like he's a genius and in 10 minutes has a dog, you know, 90% turned around. Why? Because he knows what dogs are, how dogs think, how dogs ask, the way the dog's brain works. And what he actually says is, I train dogs and I reform owners. That it's almost, not always, but almost always, the owner that's the problem. Okay? This is our kids today. Part of what I was talking about my rant about the direction of the show and having so many young men that email me the deep details of their life. Young, young females too, but more young men. It's a deep yearning need for someone to tell them the truth. This girl was not taught. I mean, do you think she's wrong when she says my parents should have taught me about budgeting? Do you think she's wrong about it? Let's put it a different way. If this girl was my daughter, if this girl was my daughter, and she was exactly the same genetically, if we had ado- if Dorothy and I had adopted her at, say, three or four or five years of age, and she grew up in my home, do you think that she would be entering her senior year of college, starting out with a $90,000 college fund, now be broke and not understand why? Do you think that would have happened if she was my daughter? Let's try it another way. For those of you my age and older, if she was your daughter and her grandparents left her $90,000 for college, would this have happened to her? And many of you are saying, hell no. So, so, with that, so if I could be the difference or you could be the difference for this young woman, is she completely wrong when she lays some of the responsibility at the feet of her parents? I understand why it's infuriating for many of you who worked your way through college for many of you that took out lots of loans, we'll get to that in a second, etc. Okay, but is she a hundred percent wrong? And I think if you're logical here, you say no. So that leads us to go. Well, where is the problem? Why are so many of our young people so clueless about money, work, reality, right? Being offended. What freedom of speech means? I see today. I see people on Facebook upset. I don't even know the whole story yet. Well, because Glenn Beck is not going to cover Donald Trump anymore, and this means that Glenn Beck no longer supports free speech. Wow! How stupid are you if you think that? Okay, let's let's see how this works. Glenn Beck, whether I love him or hate him, and there's things about him I love and a lot more that I hate, right? But, I mean, Glenn Beck was one of my inspirations to start doing this show. Not 100% a positive way, but, yeah, I mean, really, he was. So I'll give Glenn some accolades. But even if I had completely turned on everything, and just hated Glenn Beck as a human being, which I don't. But if I did, I would still say, you have a screw loose. Because here's what I know about Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck, his radio show, is paid for 100% by his efforts and the efforts of his company. He pays for the time. He sells his own advertising, makes his own money, and stations pay to syndicate his content because he has a lot of people listening to him. Okay? He is not on NPR. This is not national public radio. Nothing he does is funded by taxpayer dollars. His show, whether you love him or hate him, is 100% his endeavor that he pays for, funds, and does everything possible to keep running effectively. Okay, 
Now, you can say, I think it's unfair, especially for someone that's in politics like Glenn, to single out a single candidate and not cover them, and therefore I won't listen to them. If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. I have a lot of other reasons I don't listen to Glenn Beck anymore, but that's fine. That's, that's okay. I get that. But to say that is not... It, that, that is opposing free speech is asinine. So we have we have people today that are not 20-somethings, but the 40-somethings that cannot make this delineation anymore. This is why I said it's important to learn how to think. Let me explain to you what you're saying when you say that somebody else should be required to use their efforts to include voices that they either don't like or disagree with or whatever, for whatever reason. What you're saying then, is that free speech is equivalent to the fact that if I came to your house, and whatever your first name is, I took spray paint and spray painted on your front door. If your name was Mike, I put Mike sucks on your front door. I said, that's my free speech. If you prosecute me for trespassing, or if you paint over your door, you violated my free speech because you've silenced it. Now, if I want to put Mike sucks on my door... I'm free to do it. It's my door. I'm not free to put it on your door. And in essence, what you're saying here is your name's Mike. I think Tim sucks. And I'm requiring Mike to spray paint Mike su uh, Tim sucks on his door on my behalf. So I phone you up and say, hey, we both agree that Tim sucks, right? And you go, I don't know. I don't really care. And I go, well, Tim sucks. My free speech says I get to say Tim sucks. And you go, Okay, Jack, I think maybe you've been into the bottle a little bit deep early in the day, but okay, you do have the right to say Tim sucks. And I go, well, what I want you to do, Mike, I want you to go into your garage and get a spray paint can, and I want you to spray paint Mike sucks on your door. And you go, dude, that's not your speech, that's mine. And I go, Jack, you could put on there, Jack Spirico says Mike sucks on your door. But if you don't do that, you're denying my free speech. I'm taking responsibility for it. What's the problem? It's your door. It's Glenn's show. This is my show, right? Private property. You do not have a right to your free speech on someone else's private property that they pay for and maintain. Now, if people don't understand this at 40, how do you expect a 20-something growing up raised by people that don't understand this to understand how to budget $90,000? I think the parents were irresponsible. I think if you have a kid coming out of high school that's never had a job in her life and she's got $90,000 in a fund, and you give her no guidance for it, you bear some responsibility when she blows the money. Because are you really surprised? Are you really surprised that she blew the money? I took a trip to Europe, and I went on vacation, and I bought clothes. That's what kids do with college money. If they don't, if they don't know any better, if they're not taught, well, they, she, she should know better. But whose responsibility is it? Again, those of you that still want to attack this girl, And again, I'm not saying she has no responsibility, but I'm just saying, if she was your kid, would this have happened? And I can hear you screaming, well, no, but. Well, no, wait, wait, wait a minute. No, no. There's not no, but. There's no. And then what does that mean? What does that mean? That means that we have an entire generation of parents right now in their late 30s to early 50s raise an entire generation of kids that are in their, their low teens to mid-twenties in a way that makes them completely and totally ill-equipped to be financially responsible and personally responsible in life. That's what it means. That's our cultural cancer. That's why we focus on how to think here. 
Right? I love people say, yeah, you shouldn't tell someone how to think. Oh, we should tell people how to think. We shouldn't tell people what to think. There's a difference there. How is the methodology? What is the result? Okay? So I'm not saying you tell somebody what to think in regards to $90,000. But I'll tell you what. What never happened is this girl's parents never sat down with her and had a discussion about how to think about $90,000. How to actually project how long it was going to last, what it was going to take to get through school, where the additional monies were going to come from. How I know most of you are fans of the Second Amendment, as am I, okay? and I think shall not infringe is pretty damn clear. But what would you think of somebody who said, uh, well, you're 18 now, son. You gotta have a gun. It's in the Constitution. Here's a gun. You just hand a kid a loaded SIG, right? Loaded SIG handgun. Here, here's your gun. Here's your holster. Here's a couple boxes of ammo. Here's a cleaning kit. Go down and get your permit so you can carry it. Go. Some of you are thinking, I'd do that with my son on his 18th birthday. Hell, I, you know, without ever, ever once. Making sure that he knew anything about guns. He's never been in a range with you. He's never had a class. He's never been trained. Nothing. 18-year-old kid, male, all right? A little bit less tied together with emotions than females usually are at 18 when it comes to uh, violence, right? And would you say a parent that did that bears no responsibility if the kid hurts himself or somebody else or ends up in prison without actually doing anything that we would consider wrong, but doesn't get a permit, throws the gun under the seat of his car, drives to New Jersey, gets popped for a felony, and sent to a federal prison. Does the parent bear no responsibility, or would you say that parent was completely and wholly irresponsible? The boy, at 18, recognizes a man, had responsibilities too, but the father or the mother that did this is somehow responsible, and this is not behavior we can condone, and we can't blame the boy. Man, $90,000 is a lot of money to give to a, to a, you know, if you think about this, she's 20, 2, 20, 22, let me see real quick, 22, all right? So she burned through it in three years. That means she didn't give a 22-year-old girl $90,000 and say go nuts with it. Gave a 19-year-old girl straight out of high school $90,000. They don't even understand what $90,000, now I want to I totally flip this on its head. We'll then turn around. And look at the student that comes out of school with $90,000 of student loan debt and say, as long as they make their payments on their student loans, they were responsible. This is what this girl should have done. She should have went out. and She had the money, so she didn't have to borrow it, but she should have handled it like a loan and understood it. And But how irresponsible is it to come out of school with a degree today owing $90,000? Or if you add on what she was spending at a rate of $30,000 a year, one hundred twenty grand, And we have people coming out with degrees in communications and marketing and all other types of degrees that are almost rubber stamp degrees today, owing ninety dollars to $120,000. We'll not see a $35,000 salary in the next five years. More student loan debt than you can buy your first house with. Who's irresponsible? And again, do the parents bear any culpability... In these children going to school, incurring these debts, with no hope of ever paying them back. Don't tell me not to tell people how to think. That's the problem we have in this country. No one's telling anybody how to think anymore. How to think is a skill. What to think is a result. You can tell somebody how to think without actually changing their opinion, if their opinion was valid in the first place. 
If you teach somebody how to think effectively and you have a disagreement with them, they might just come back and use your skill that you taught them to prove to you that you're wrong. That's actually kind of cool if you're comfortable in yourself. If you're not married to your beliefs, and instead if you care about the truth. Well, here's the truth, America. We're screwing our children. We're screwing our children over by not being honest with them. And by telling them, see, here's the thing. We have an educational model and a mentality in Gen X and above of preparing our youth for the world we grew up in. That world is gone. It's dead. The types of jobs we had, the types of careers we had, the financial structures we had, all of it's gone. It's all changed. But even if we took it back to 1975, we're not even teaching them how to be able to exist in that world. We're just like paying lip service to it. You don't let a 19-year-old kid loose with $90,000 worth of college fund, with no counseling, with no oversight. And again, I bet you, those of you that are still trying to come after this girl, I'm going to ask you one more time, if it was your daughter, would it have happened? And you're going to say no. Think about that. Think about that long and hard before you let the media fluff you up around how stupid these kids are. These kids aren't stupid. They lack skills and they lack knowledge because we have a generation of parents that are too lazy to teach them the skills and the knowledge and have outsourced this responsibility to the state. And they think kids are supposed to learn all of this stuff in school. Well, wake up, parents. Because what schools teach your kids today is how to serve the state. That's what they teach them. They don't teach them how to take care of themselves. So if you don't do it, nobody's going to, and this is what you're going to get. Let's take another one. Kind of fitting right in with uh, this new world that we're moving into. Um, this comes from Vicky. Vicky says, uh, bank tellers are losing their jobs to automation. The other day I was at a bank and overheard a branch manager talking about phasing out of bank tellers. They'd replace them with electronic kiosks. That made me think, if there's no cash registers, then ba bank robberies by guns would dissipate. So there's no security guards. Uh, the clothing companies that make clothes for the banks and security firms would also have health too. As a first-year college student, this makes me worried about what I can major in and what jobs will be left. If I choose to major in pharmacy, kiosks will take away jobs in that sector, too. The machine could dispense bottles of medicine. I'd imagine there would be an ID check process with a thumbprint scanning and a driver's license that doesn't need people. Temporarily, the consultation pharmacist would remain, but not the person at the window. Jobs in banks, pharmacies, who know what else can be replaced? It's not just fast food. It's everywhere. Thank you very much for all you've done. Best wishes, Vicky. And then just to add to it, um, I want to tell you that I'm starting to read things like computers eventually replacing things like lawyers and anesthesiologists and other articles that I won't really reference today. I do think bank tellers may be one of the last to go, and that's because of, well, we've had automated bank tellers for a long time. They're called ATMs. Uh, I remember when ATMs first started. I will tell you that I have gone to a bank very little uh, since the ATM came around, back when I was a teenager. I remember when I, f I first found out about ATMs, I'm like, really? You can just get money out of a machine like that? And back at that time, you know, as a young person, I spent mostly cash. Um, then I, you know, got out of the army, I got a job and some of my first jobs, I worked more uh, week to week than, than normal. And I went back to cashing a check and having cash in your hand, you know, uh, so you'd go to a bank to do that. 
But, you know, as you develop your life and you, you get some security around it, you just start and direct deposit comes out. Also, and I don't need to go to the bank for that. So I'm not a big user of banks, but do you know when we go to the bank? When we get checks. Now, you can go just, like, insert checks into some of the ATMs now and all, but I have a confidence issue there. I think this is one of the few reasons that banks will remain having tellers for longer than I think a lot of fast food places will remain having cash register people. I think banking is complex, and people have issues with things like that. But, I mean, there's already apps on phones now where you can have a, somebody write you a check, you take a picture of the check, and de deposit it electronically from your phone. Without leaving the house. It makes me wonder sometimes why we don't do it. Well, businesses that get, you know, a lot of checks. If you have 30, 40 checks a week that you're dealing with, you, it, it's kind of tedious. It actually takes less time to throw it all in a deposit slip and drop it off at the bank. But how much of the, how much of their business is that? I, I'd say quite a bit today. Um, the older the person, the more resistant to this technology they are. But the older people are dying. I mean, we all have this terminal illness I've said before called life. And this is one of the evolutions forward. But it's only a part of it. It's only a part of it. And it's, it's going to continue. And it, it, but, okay, so what, you say the security guard doesn't have a job, okay? Well, he does. He just doesn't, you know, make $9 an hour to stand around in a, in a rent-a-cop, a, a rent-a-cop, uh, uniform anymore in front of the bank. The security guard becomes the cybersecurity technician. That, that's the new security guard today, the person that is protecting the bank and its depositors from technological theft. So there are new jobs coming as these old jobs are being replaced, but they're far more technical many times. It, it's difficult to advise a person that's in college right now because so much of what we believe is important isn't going to be important very soon. But how many, and you, you know, you'd say, well, how many college graduates really want to be a waiter? And, and waiters are losing their jobs right now. If you go to Chili's right now, you, your waiter is training their replacement on your table. A little kiosk where you can play trivia and stuff like that, order drinks, pay your tab, etc. And what, what they're going to do is they won't, they won't anytime really, really soon get rid of waiters at restaurants. What they'll do is cut the staff significantly. Because somebody's still going to run the food out and stuff like that. But you know, a food runner and a waiter probably handle two to three times the tables by automating what they actually have to do. And, and, and in some ways, it's very convenient for the consumer. You know what my biggest pet peeve is when I go out to eat? I often tend to get really good service from people. I, I really feel like um, if you talk to people, you respect people, they do their best for you, and that includes your waiter and your server. So... I always try to be engaging and, and decent to those people. I don't want to have long conversations with them. I'm not a chatty Cathy type person. But, you know, thank you for seating us. Can you please take care of this first? Uh, I'd like the appetizer. You tell them what you want, and you say thank you. And you get great service. But they're busy. And you know where it always falls apart? comes time to get your check. Because they've, they've fed you. They've given you a second round of drinks, whatever. And they've got new people coming in. They're getting started up. And all I want is my freaking check so I can pay you and tip you. And your tip is going down by the second because I don't know where you are. And I just want to go. I want to leave. I'm done now. The fact that that kiosk there and I can go pay check, enter tip, sign with my finger, done. And I don't have to deal with you again. That's awesome. Well, what that means is a good. So now I can look at my wait staff. 
and go, here's my, my top half and here's my bottom half. And my top half, empowered by technology, can serve more customers and make more money, and I'll cut the bottom half. And that's more what automation is going to do with the jobs that are left. It's going to make the sucky people be pushed out the door. The person that always shows up, whose customers are always happy, the manager doesn't have to go off off and deal with cutting the person a deal or whatever, or when the kitchen screws up, they mitigate the damage with their own ingenuity, that person's going to keep their job, and the person that's always screwing up, gone. Gone. And it's nothing to do with $15 an hour. It has nothing at all to do with a $15 an hour minimum wage, And because you can't think for yourself anymore, many of you still think it does. I see it over and over. The meme is, you know, the order at McDonald's, $15 an hour, here's your replacement. This stuff is coming no matter what minimum wage is. You can drop minimum wage in half. And fast food restaurants are still going to put this technology in place. It never gets sick. It never complains. It doesn't get arrested. It doesn't need to be bailed out of jail. It doesn't get in arguments with its fellow uh, uh, employees. If you automate the assemblage, which is what they're going to do next, you're going to order your Whopper your way, if you would eat that crap, and the machine's going to make your Whopper. Then you don't get your order screwed up. I don't know how many times you can tell somebody, I don't like mustard, and they still put mustard on your burger, right? Okay? Just as an example. This eliminates that. So it eliminates so many problems. It's not about the wage. It's about the total cost of employing and managing employees, which the wage is a smaller piece of than you would think. By the way, on $15 minimum wage, glad we brought that up because I got another one for you here. You know, we don't have a national $15 an hour minimum wage, but we're told it would be a good thing because it would lift millions out of poverty. I mean, can you imagine if the lowest paying job in this country paid $15 an hour? And what if, what if all of the people that, that, that are opposed to it were wrong? What if it didn't cost jobs? I know it's going to cost jobs, but just, let's stop that. Let's say that the overall cycle, Running out over a couple of years by putting more money into consumers' hands would create more spending and more economic activity, and, and eventually it would actually end up being the case that everything worked itself out economically, and people that today are making eight bucks an hour are making fifteen dollars an hour, and all of the objections like, well, right now I only make twelve fifty and my job's harder. They got the raise too, at least to minimum wage, if not higher, and what have you, and it created upward pressure, and all of it did what they say it would do. Would everything be hunky dory? Ah. Uh, <laughs> Well, see, the problem is when you start interfering with things like the government does with economics in our country today, and when you create a welfare state, things that might work don't work anymore. I'm going to just play the audio for you on this one, and I'll be back to give you my thoughts on it. Dan, why are some workers asking the bosses for actually fewer hours? Yeah, it's interesting, Bill. The minimum wage here in Seattle went to $11 an hour in April, on its way to $15 an hour by 2018. Some people have figured out that with the pay raise, they'll make too much money to stay on certain welfare programs. Turns out a lot of minimum wage workers are eligible for basic food assistance, help with the cost of child care, and government-subsidized rent. In the last few months, some of them have asked their bosses for fewer work hours because they're afraid of losing their benefits. This runs counter to one of the big arguments for a $15 wage, that it will lift people out of poverty. 
you're that single mom with two kids and all of a sudden you make a thousand dollars too much, you're no longer eligible for food assistance. Well, why in the world would you want to continue those hours? Why wouldn't you want to stay back and actually get that assistance? Despite this red flag and others, Los Angeles and San Francisco followed Seattle to adopt a $15 minimum wage, and now it's being considered in New York City. And just last night, all of L.A. County went to a $15 wage. Businesses are getting very creative in order to make payroll. We're seeing higher prices virtually everywhere. One iconic restaurant here in Seattle raised prices 15% is also discouraging tips. So servers are making less money, but dishwashers are doing better. There's also a comic book store in San Francisco that began selling memberships to a graphic novel club, even though the owner said the members are not really getting all that much more. Uh, we've also seen longtime restaurants here in Seattle close, uh, even though the economy here is doing very well. So some uh, unintended consequences for sure that we're seeing here in Seattle and elsewhere. Wow, I know a lot of you are going, well, duh. Uh, and a lot of you are going, wow, I really never thought about that issue and how that would play out. But it, it, it's, it's just another example of uh, a corrupted welfare state. Let's, let's talk about it from a purely pragmatic standpoint first with what would you do? What would you do? You know, I wouldn't be on assistance and whatever. Just put that all away. Let all the emotion go here for a second. I want to frame it totally differently for you. Let's say you had a job that you hated. Many of you do, so it's not a big stretch of the imagination to imagine you hate your job. Let's say that if you don't have a job you hate, you just go back to when you had one you hated. Just think of the worst job you ever had. Because you know what? Working at McDonald's sucks. It does. No one lines up to do it. Okay? It's a tough job. So you're seen as a commodity. You're being replaced by a computer. You bust your ass. You sweat your ass off over a fryer or whatever. Customers are rude. It's a, it's a crappy job. Let's just be honest. So it's a job you hate. Now, your employer comes to you with a choice. I will double your pay. I will double your pay. But you've got the same job. You're going to hate it just as bad. I might yell at you more and expect more from you because I'm paying you more now. Your job might be slightly at a greater risk because I'm paying you more now. But in the end, you're basically going to have the same job. You're just going to get double the pay. Or, I will cut your hours in half and pay you exactly what I'm paying you now. I'll pay you double to work half as often. And on top of this, you are getting by with your life. You're, 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 not, you're not living in a limousine or something like that, but overall, your bills are paid, and you're relatively happy with the, the baseline of your financial situation. Which one would you be more inclined to take? I think if most people are honest and do a fundamental analysis of their lives, they would take working half the time for the same pay. Now, the, the difference here is the majority of the money is not coming from the employment, it's coming from the government, which means it's coming from fellow people. that We don't see it that way. There's no gratitude anymore in America when it comes to how hard some people work on behalf of others because we've disconnected it. But that's, what, that's what eliminating private charity's responsibility to do these things has done. If you fall on hard times, and I know you, and I reach out to you and say, you know what, you know what, man, here, here's a thousand dollar check. Pay your mortgage this month. Go figure out what to do with your life. Don't worry about losing your house this month. Just, just take it. Don't, it's not a loan. I don't want it back. 
I don't care. I don't need it. I can't help everybody, but I think that, that you're in a situation uh, that, that sucks, and I want to help you through it. Next month, you're on your own, but this month, I'm paying your mortgage for you. There is an inherent gratitude there, and there's an inherent feeling of obligation, like Jack believed in me. Jack took his own money out of his own pocket to lift me up. Damn it, not only was that amazing, but I now have an obligation not to pay the money back, but to prove to him and to myself I was worthy of that. Where when you get the $1,000 check from the government, I got that coming to me. That's my benefits. It's not a benefit. It's not benefits. It's somebody else's property that was stolen on your behalf. But we can't see it that way. The government's gotten in the middle, clouded the mess up so much, that we don't even understand that someone else earned that money and it was stolen from them. We don't even see it anymore. So you now add that compounding thing to my original question, do you work the same hours for twice the money or do you cut the hours in half for the same money? You cut the hours in half for the same money. Of course that's what they would do. This is not this is not an unintended consequence as far as I'm concerned. I think anybody with enough intelligence to run the math to figure out what the minimum wage was going to be could have seen this coming. I mean, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Now, I have an ironic solution to this. One that many of you will go, oh my God, I can't believe he said that. Okay, again, understand, at heart, I'm an anarchist. I would like no state. In the, in the world we live in, I'm a realist. I understand what is, is. And I understand that currently you have to fix, solution, fix problems with the solutions that are available. So the solution of let's just shut off all the welfare and let everybody fend for themselves is one I would very much endorse, but isn't going to happen. So I actually am for paying people more welfare. Hold on before you get all pissed off with a caveat. Here's, here's the trap that people are put into today, and we say they won't pull themselves up. We make it very difficult. So you're a single mom. You're working your ass off. You have your health care covered for you and your two kids. Uh, you get food stamps, and you're busting your ass at McDonald's working 35 hours a week. Okay, And all of a sudden, your pay is going to go up, 200 bucks a week. But you're going to lose $1,200 in benefits that aren't really benefits, but to you, they're benefits. What are you going to do? What do you think you're going to do? Your pay's going to go up $400 a week, but you're going to lose $1,200 in benefits. What are you going to do? Come on. Just just think at the most basic level. You know what you're going to do. Now, i got a different proposition for you. Your pay is going to go up $400 a month. You're going to keep all of your benefits for one year while you transition while you transition you're not going to lose it immediately you're going to know you're going to lose it eventually but you're going to transition you're going to move your way up you're going to make more money now this has nothing to do with minimum wage by the way I'll get to how it actually because minimum wage ruins everything but if you did that then people now have an incentive to get a better job, to work two jobs, to work three jobs, to, to make more contacts, to network, to find an, another opportunity. And the closer they get to the cutoff point, the more important it becomes to complete the transition to self-supporting. What we've done is we've created an all-or-nothing situation where when people try, if they have limited success, they have immediate guaranteed failure. And we've taught people 
that the government has unlimited money in that same scenario. What do you think is going to be the result? I mean, there's a lot of ways I could use the current It's not going to happen, but there's a lot of ways I could use the current system to fix things. How about this? We get rid of all welfare. Hold on. No welfare. Unless you are physically incapable of work. Right? If you can, if you can fog a mirror and we can figure out a way to monetize that, you have to do something. Okay? So, for 95% of people, there's no more welfare. There's no more food stamps. Okay? No food stamps. There's no welfare checks. There's no subsidized housing. We get rid of 100% of welfare. But we guarantee anybody that wants a job, a job. You show up, we'll find something for you to do. And we'll pay you the same money we would have paid you in welfare and benefits in money in return for doing a job. Now, I know what you're saying. This can't work. It can't work the way we would want it to work. It can work better than what we have, though, can it? Would it not work better than what we have? First of all, uh, a, a significant portion of the people that are on the draw now would never be on the draw. They would never even show up to the guaranteed work. right? They'd just go find something else to do with themselves. They take the money because they can get it. So remember, this, this proposal would be all welfare is gone. right? The only people that would receive Social Security benefits and things like that are the truly disabled that you would look at and say, here's the thing you could do today and go, they really can't do that. They really can't. These are the the, 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 the 5% that the 95% benefit off of, right? That's what I mean. Like, not only 95% of society, 95% of people on the draw don't need to be on the draw, but the, the, but the, the sob stories are the 5% that do. So that 5% stays in some kind of special program, okay? Everybody else, don't have a job. That's all right. Report to your work center. You could pick up garbage on the street. We could set up daycares for people that are working and say they can't have daycare. We'll pay them for it. I mean, you're paying that we're spending the money anyway. But you have to do something for it. You know? You could go pull parts off of junk cars. I don't know. Whatever. Develop a skill. Start developing great big urban farms. You can work here. Start pulling weeds. Whatever. Let them do something. You don't want to do anything? Starve. I mean, that, that's a better solution than what we have. Ain't going to happen. It isn't going to happen. But right now, the system is as bad as it can be. This system is a recipe for financial catastrophe in this country. And it's a recipe for destroying the lives of people and enslaving them to a subsistence living, either not working at all or working very, very little and making very, very little money. And it's, it's anti-family. It's anti-family. Most people could solve this problem by not being married. We talked about that recently, too. But you take the guy's income, he has the, the, the majority of the income, but you're not married. You let the woman take the, the kids. The guy pays your child support, right? That's not income for her. And they live together. They're ahead in every, every, every financially measurable way they're ahead. We have another entire class of people begging for the privilege to get married, Right? As though marriage is supposed to be a privilege in the first place. But at this point it is from the state. Right? Okay, so we have an entire class of people screaming, please let us marry. And we have an entire other group of people saying, marriage is for suckers. Can't game the system that way. And some of the people gaming the system, the guy or the woman, it depends on which side, doesn't have the marketable skill, is working their ass off making a good income, Paying more than their fair share of taxes, and the other side's creating the draw to get their and the way to justify this. I'm getting my own money back from the system. If you set up a system, people will game it. 
No matter what the system is, people will game it. So you have to make gaming the system create a positive result. We've created a system where gaming it creates nothing but a negative result. Nothing good comes from this for society as a whole. That's, that's where we're at today in society as a whole. Nothing good comes from what we're doing. With that, I think we'll uh, go ahead and wrap up for today. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Um, let me reiterate uh, what I said toward the beginning of the show. Uh, the purpose of the Survival Podcast is to help individuals develop the skills and resources necessary to survive what's happening. That, that might be the most uh, important thing I've ever said to you guys on the air. Not what's coming, not what's going to happen. What's happening, what's happening right now. The entire makeup of society is shifting at a speed that is astonishingly fast. But yet in our world, the way we see things, it's like an event horizon going over a black hole. It seems very, very slow to us. It seems like it's a long time between now and crossing over to where we get stretched out into a thin string. But the speed is astronomical. It truly is. The world is shifting on levels that most of us have yet to even begin to comprehend, let alone fully comprehend. Technology is going to change the world, whether we want it to or not. And at the same time, real hard skills are going to be necessary to adapt. We're seeing a point where people either want to be primitivists or they want to be uber-technologists, uber right? And the reality is to survive this, we're going to have to be both. We're going to have to provide for ourselves again. Living in a world where someone else provides for us is not going to remain the same. And it's going to change in ways that people aren't even thinking of when they say that anymore. Like people say, oh yeah, that's true, but they don't really get what that means. Right now, a lot of the benefits derived of being a citizen of this country are derived because in other countries people live piss-poor lives and will kill themselves and work three times as hard as the average American is willing to for a fraction of the money, just so that they can eat. Well, the rest of the world is starting to say, hey, we, we want a little bit more advancement ourselves. We, we want a little bit more of this technology. We, don't, we want the American dream without being an immigrant. Average person in China wants more of what we have here without necessarily coming here. The average person in Africa, Brazil, India. I mean, if you really want to start understanding how blessed we are to live in the in, in the in the first world, check out a show called Idiot Abroad. It'll make you laugh, and at times it'll make you cry. Look at the one where the guy goes to India, and you see what people live in on a daily basis, and what we have the audacity to complain about. Do you think the world can stay that way? Do you think the world is going to stay that way? And we have been so irresponsible as a nation with the blessings that have been bestowed upon us. We really have. We have not been guardians of our republic. We haven't. And you know we haven't. You can blame other people. You can say it's the Democrats or it's the Republicans, the conservatives or the liberals. It's the people in government. It's the corporations. But in the end, we let them do it. We let them do it. Not we individually. We collectively this nation is made up of a group of people now that are so afraid. They're afraid of freedom. We've become the bird that won't leave when the door on the cage is open. And we berate the few that do leave for being unpatriotic or whatever we come up with that day. We're offended. We're afraid. 
We have turned into a nation of incompetent cowards. If that pisses you off, it doesn't mean that you're an incompetent coward, but please look around. Please be honest. Look at the people, the average person today, on the street, whether they're on the dole or on the job, doesn't matter. They don't know anything about how their country works. They don't know any, I mean, how many people in this country could tell you who the president of, Japan, of Australia is? The prime minister, actually. Right? Who, or Canada. Let me tell you, most Canadians know who the President of the United States is, is the Australians. We don't even know who runs the countries around us that are our friends, let alone our enemies. Pretty much we know our, our guy and Putin. That's about it. And those ISIS people, they're evil and scary. Those Saudi Arabian guys do the same thing, they're okay because they're our friends. I mean, this is the world we live in. We live in a world where, where a 19-year-old kid is set loose with a $90,000 scholarship, blows it all, blames her parents, and she's somewhat right. That's where we live. That's, that is, that is the truth. That is the truth. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. We live in a world where thanks to technology, the, the access to information is greater at any time in history. We can learn so much faster than we did in the past. Do you remember encyclopedias? I do. I remember doing reports for school, going down to the library and pulling encyclopedias off the shelf that were 12 years old, doing a report on something that happened 10 years ago and going, it's not in here. I remember the first time I bought a computer for my family. Not my first computer. I mean, we're going back to Commodores and, and, and Trash 80s and stuff, my first computers. No, I mean, like the first modern type of computer was a compact. Big old giant monitor. <laughs> When you got on the internet, you've got mail, right? Not that long ago. Did have a 56K modem, though. It was top end at the time. There was no DSL. I remember that. And I remember I bought that computer, and it came with some software, some discs, you know, that you could, you could put on it. And one was Encyclopedia Britannica, which is not even in print anymore, by the way. But at the time, it still was. But it was the entire Encyclopedia Britannica. For that year, I don't remember what year. It would have been like 96, 97, right? And the entire encyclopedia was on this little bitty disc. And I remembered looking at that going, oh, my God. I showed it to my son, who was like, you know, nine at the time or something. So, no, you don't understand. You don't understand, son. There used to be this huge stack. Oh, that's all on here. I don't understand. He didn't. He said he didn't understand. I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't understand why it's a big deal. We, we use those in school. There's so much available. And now that is a thread of the data that we can get. So quickly, on demand. We are an ignorant people with no excuse for our ignorance. Think about that. We don't have to be. And I know some of you are getting angry right now. You're tired of hearing me say that because you're like, it doesn't apply to me. Again, I know if you listen to this show that you by your very act of listening to the show are a self-educated person. You educate yourself or you wouldn't listen to this show. You're listening to the show to see what you can learn. But one of the things you need to learn is how to understand the catastrophe around you right now. The average person doesn't have a clue what's going on. They don't have a clue. 
And if you start to figure that out, you start being less angry with them and more sympathetic, and you pity them at a higher level. And then you start to realize, like, pity doesn't help them. Throwing money at them doesn't help them. The only thing that helps is education. One of our founders, Thomas Jefferson, said, educate and inform the whole mass of the people. They are the only sure reliance for the preservation of our liberty. Well, they haven't been educated and they haven't been informed in a very long time. And look where our liberty is headed. But you can make a difference by educating and informing yourself and then demonstrating to others. We're at a point now where idiocy, idiocy is almost terminal in this country. There's an old meme that says something like idiocracy was supposed to be a comedy, not a documentary, right? And there's some truth to that. But it is. I mean, we're at a point now where idiocy is becoming cool. It's cool to be stupid. But the reality is it always leads to misery and unhappiness for, for the stupid. I mean, ignorance is only bliss until reality punches you in the face. And a lot of people are starting to get punched in the face. And they're starting to say, hey, is there something else? Well, if we focus on developing our own skills, our own knowledge, our own ability to provide for ourselves, our own ability to think for ourselves, and we just don't go along with one group or the other, the D's or the R's, the C's or the L's, or whatever you're going to come up with next, the east side, west side, or whatever the hell other crap they use to divide you, the rich or the poor, and you start thinking independently for yourself and building a life on that, and you build success in your life, then people start saying, hey, I want that too. And then you can say, well, this is how you get it. And then initially they're going to tell you, oh, it's easy for you to say or whatever. But think about that. When people use that objection, you see somebody that's obtained what you want, they tell you how they got it, and then you say, that doesn't apply to me. Maybe that's why you can't get what you want. Because you're not letting it apply to you. It certainly applies to you. It's the rules. It's how it works. Hard work pays off, but only when it's properly applied and leveraged. I hear people all the time object to the concept that hard work pays off because they'll point out people that kill themselves physically or even emotionally or mentally to try to get things done and they don't make a lot of money or they don't succeed and they don't have success in life, but they're willing to work. They're willing to work so hard. Imagine a fly. Imagine a fly in a window, doesn't understand the window, and is flapping his wings as hard as he can and pushing as hard as he can against that window. Freedom lies in stopping to try to push his way through the window. He's not capable of getting through the window. Well, we're more intelligent than flies, my friend. But sometimes we don't act like it. Just on the other side of the room is a window that's open. Sometimes the window the fly is pushing his head against is open. All he's got to do is drop down or go up and go out the opening. But no, pound, 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 work, 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 work. Improper work is inefficient. And it results in failure. Upon failure, upon failure. And people saying, I don't understand, I'm trying so hard. It's not about trying. It's not about hard work. It's about trying and hard work properly leveraged and applied. And if what you're doing isn't working, it's up to you to evaluate yourself, make a determination for yourself of how to shift and adapt and change that and do what does work. In the end, that's the only way. That's the only way that you're going to take control of your life Take control of your situation financially and otherwise. It's it, it's a sad day that a guy like me has to get on a microphone and tell America this. But on the other end, somebody's got to do it. Because we're damn sure not teaching our kids this. That's why we have kids blowing 90 grand in three years and blaming their parents. Because their parents ain't teaching them. Well, it's time for us to grow up as a nation. It really is. 
And what you're going to have to realize, folks, is the majority of people around you aren't ready to grow up yet. You have to do it on your own. Pioneers are going to be the ones with the arrows in their back. But I'd rather have a few arrows in my back and a frontier ahead of me than a clean back and be sitting with the masses. With that, this has been Jack Spirico, another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Yeah.